It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Okay, sir, I think that's enough music. Thank you very much. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's edition, today's podcast of the Miller Frost Show. I forget we're not live anymore. Not yet, anyway. I am your host and America's most beloved self-loving homosexual, Miller Frost, here as always with white boy Malcolm X. And I hope everyone's had a good weekend so far. Got a ton of stuff to tackle tonight. Uh, we have the return of Ginger Kennedy. I don't know what his real name is. He's just the Ginger Kennedy. And then, of course, we have more from the mayor of Holyoke, the alleged chicken hawk. And if you don't know what a chicken hawk is, think Kevin Spacey. But I guess that's, Kevin Spacey's kind of a gropey chicken hawk. So this guy's not a gropey chicken hawk, but he's still chicken hawk. Alex Morse, the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts. So we'll get to those in good time. I have already put my pile together, White Boy Malcolm X, so you're going to get what you get. And no, we're not going to talk about creepy Uncle Joe. We're not going to talk about him and his light versus dark. He was reminding me of, uh, what's her name? Uh, Tangina. I actually looked that up. Tangina from Poltergeist. If, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a great, great 80s flick. Going to the light, Carol Ann. So that was creepy Uncle Joe the other night doing his speech. White Boy Malcolm X, before I jump into today's stories, quick question for you. When do you think all the liberals are going to get upset about all those discarded facial masks that are now littering the sidewalks as they did with all of the plastic bags, which they have about as effectively banned as they can try? So I'm wondering when they're going to get as upset about that. I remember this, this ages me. Well, hell, I'm 50. I'm almost 51 at this point. But my first job ever was bagging groceries at a Winn-Dixie in South Carolina. And that's back when they only had paper bags. Plastic bags were like the new exciting thing. And then 30 years later, plastic bags became the devil. And so we had to go back to the paper bags, even though we got rid of them the first time because they were we were killing all the trees. We would have a treeless earth if we did not get rid of the paper bags and go to plastic. But now the plastic bags are choking all the uh, every creature in the ocean. So now we have to go back to paper bags. And now we've got littered, discarded masks all over the place. So I hope they get as righteously indignant on that. Okay, let's just jump right in. White Boy Malcolm X, you have failed me now two weeks in a row. First, I got nothing on Tanzanian or Tangian GLBT soap operas. You failed me there. And now, this is a Hollywood reporter story. And the reason I know you don't know this show exists is because you're too busy. You're too damn busy watching Zach Efron's dad bod on Netflix. So cut it out. These are the stories. These are the shows I want to watch. Today's headline from The Hollywood Reporter. Drunk history canceled <laughs> at Comedy Central. The Viacom CBS owned. That's got to be the best show ever. And I've never even heard of it, much less being upset about the fact that it's canceled. The Viacom CBS-owned cable network has reversed course on plans for a seventh season. Seven seasons, White Boy Malcolm X. We knew nothing of this, of Derek Waters' drunk history. Comedy Central has reversed course on plans for a seventh season of the Derek Waters series. The sixth season, which ended its run August 6th, will now be its last. Production had been underway on season seven of the series before the pandemic. Another show canceled that we can blame on Donald Trump. With production shut down on the series, again because of Donald Trump, which features Waters and drunken celebrities while recounting history interweave with elaborate reenactments, Comedy Central changes programming direction and the decision was made to abandon the 16-episode 7th season that was originally announced a year ago. Viacom, CBS Entertainment, and youth group president Chris McCarthy, who's clearly a fun sponge, 
has charted a new course for Comedy Central, focusing content on adult animation, topical series, and comedic made-for-TV. Uh, that's all the millennial crap. I don't care about that anymore. So that show is canceled. Drunk history. We got to look that up. That's got to be on. That's got to be somewhere. You know, I am reconsidering Ellen DeGeneres being the official mean girl of the Miller Frost show. You know, Ellen DeGeneres, I, I, we did have this story last week where, what, 40-something years ago, some guy, some guy comes out recently and claimed 40-something years ago that Ellen DeGeneres would call him stupid and fat and criticize his ugly clothes. And I said that, well, she sounded like a bitchy gay man. So she's been bullying for decades now. But listen to this headline. This is from the Daily News. Now President, that's the National Organization for Women, now President steps down after allegations she oversaw a toxic work environment and racism claims. Health reasons cited for her departure, of course. The head of the National Organization for Women announced Sunday that she would leave her post before Labor Day, citing health issues as the reason. You know what her health issue was, white boy Malcolm X? She got a bad case of racism. Now President Tony Van Pelt sent an email to colleagues stating, very painful health issue as her reason for stepping away and claimed her doctor had been urging her to take this step for months, according to the Daily Beast. The political site notes that Van Pelt's resignation follows an internal investigation that concluded governance issues and evidence of a toxic work environment. And now? <gasps> the Daily Beast reported in June that there had also been multiple allegations of racism at the senior level of the 54-year-old civil rights organization, but now's internal examination claimed those accusations could not be substantiated. Of course. Chapter leader Kim Porteous of Florida told the Daily Beast she was pleased to learn of Van Pelt's departure, but she questioned the explanation given by the organization's leader. To hear that Tony is stepping down for health issues is offensive, Porteous said. We cannot move forward with restorative justice by covering up racism or making excuses for people to leave. Well, I mean, that's just what the ruling class does. The health excuse <coughs> works every time. White Boy Malcolm X, what do you think her golden parachute is going to be for them to buy her out of her contract and send her on her merry way because of her health issues? So I know she, she probably got to keep her pension, whatever, but that is now the National Organization of Women who really apparently only exists to promote abortion and to be racist. I told you, I told you last week we missed out when I read that headline, Arrested Portland Protesters Won't Face Charges Under Revised Policy, and that was in Fox News last week. Listen to this. Protesters burn government building during riot in Portland. Hmm, I wonder if there's a link. This is from the New York Post. Protesters in Portland marched to a government building on Tuesday night, smashing windows and setting an office ablaze in what authorities called a riot. The demonstrators descended on the Multnomah building, which houses county government operations, and hurled rocks through the front doors made of glass while setting fires outside the building, officials said. I, I guess I gave up on the federal building. Trump wasn't having none of that, so they just went and they were like, well, the mayor and the governor, they're a bunch of pansies, so let's, let's go burn the, um, the county building there. After declaring the assembly unlawful, Portland cops, who we know are just a bunch of racist pigs, asked all the... Can you see the... Can you please go home? Let's start that again. After declaring the assembly unlawful, the racist Portland cops asked all gathered to disperse. The protesters appeared to be calling for the abolition of police and prisons. There you go. I wonder if there's a link between prosecu not prosecuting and them just burning away. Here's another one in. And this guy just turned himself in. His name is Marquise Love. Portland man beaten unconscious by BLM mob tried to stop mugging witness claims. The man who was viciously beaten by Black Lives Matter protest these peaceful protesters that are going around, I guess they're not so peaceful. The man who was viciously beaten by Black Lives Matter protesters in Portland had been trying to intervene in a mugging before he was kicked unconscious according to a witness. Drew Hernandez, a YouTuber who filmed... What is a YouTuber, white boy Malcolm X? What? Yeah, I know. Somebody who puts a video on YouTube. I, I know, but I mean, is that like a is that like a job now? I mean, do, if you ask, if you ask Drew Hernandez, what would he say? Uh, I'm like a YouTuber. I I take my phone out and uh, I shoot video, and you know, I like I like post it on YouTube on the interwebs. So I guess that's what he does. Picking back up, 
Drew Hernandez, a YouTuber who filmed the episode, said the man, identified by family as Adam Hainer, was defending a <gasps> transgender woman being beaten and robbed by protesters Sunday before the group went after him. So let me see if I understand this correctly so far, White Boy Malcolm X. You've got a transgender woman being beaten by the peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters who were probably just there peacefully protesting and getting their reparations. And this other guy comes in, Adam Hayner, and he tried to defend her and they beat him up too. Marquise Love allegedly beat him up. So this continues with Drew Hernandez. Did I get that right, by the way? Okay, I did get that right. So continuing on with Drew Hernandez, the YouTuber. They were physically assaulting... No, I gotta do, I gotta do a new voice. They were physically assaulting her like crazy. So when they were doing that, he actually started defending her. And then they shifted their attention on him, Hernandez told Fox News. You know, I, I love the fact that the BLM mob, these peaceful protesters, are finally being called out for what they're doing. And, and what this goes to show is that transgender status does trump race in this case. So normally, they, if, if the Black Lives Matter folks had beaten up, I mean, if they had just beaten up Adam Hayner, who was as white as they come, nobody would have said a damn thing. But they beat up a transgender, and so now that becomes the big issue there. So Marquise Love, the alleged transgender beater, has turned himself in. At least that's good. Speaking of which, so I saw an article, and it was originally on the Stamford Advocate, and it was talking about how in Los Angeles— some people had gotten arrested, and two people had gotten arrested, and a third was on the hunt. They were on the hunt for a third. It was because of this attack on three transgender women, speaking of, you know, people beating up on transgender women. But the Stanford advocate really didn't have, like, pictures or anything, so I couldn't tell. So I Googled one of the alleged perpetrators' names, and I can't believe that I'm actually— you know, because I always say CNN is unwatchable and unreadable, but an article popped up on, on CNN, and it actually had people's pictures. And so here's the article. Los Angeles police are on the hunt for one final man suspected in a robbery and hate crime incident against three transgender women. Two men are in custody. Willie Walker, 42, was arrested in Hollywood Wednesday and on an extortion charge, police said. And Carlton Calway, 29, was arrested Thursday on a robbery charge with a hate crime enhancement. It's like extra because you got the hate crime enhancement. Police said they're still looking for 22-year-old Davian Williams, who was suspected of assaulting the victims with a deadly weapon. It is unclear if Walker and Calway have legal representation. I've seen their pics. It's public defender time, folks. The women were robbed and assaulted in Hollywood Monday, police said. During the incident, one man approached one victim with a metal bar and demanded her shoes and bracelet. <laughs> kind of random, the Los Angeles Police Department said in a statement. The man later assaulted another victim with a bottle, knocking her to the ground, according to police. Throughout the attack, police said, the man made derogatory comments about the women being transgender. We believe these crimes were motivated by hate because the victims were transgender women and derogatory remarks were made by the suspect about the victims, Los Angeles Police Department and Wizard of Smart Deputy Chief Justin Eisenberg said. One of the three victims was identified by CNN affiliate KCAL as Eden Estrada who goes by Eden the Doll on YouTube, another YouTube person, and has an Instagram following of more than 400,000. It was absolutely the worst moment of my life, Estrada told the news station. I know that I'm so privileged. <laughs> another one with the privilege because I'm a YouTuber and because people know who I have no I have no clue who um, Eden the Doll is, but I guess 400,000 people do. So I know that I'm so privileged because I am a YouTuber and because people know me, but this happens all the time to women like me who aren't on social media. The incident, I, I love it when people think they're famous and they're not really, but okay, whatever, I'll work with it. The incident was partially captured on video by onlookers and shared widely on social media. Of course it was, but the passerbys did little to help the women who were under attack, according to the police. What was particularly callous about these crimes was the action of the onlookers, Eisenberg said. They recorded and appeared to celebrate the assault rather than render aid and assist the victims. Los Angeles City Councilman Mitch O'Farrell said in a statement posted to Twitter he was angered to see the video of the attack. The video of three transgender women of color, damn, being physically attacked, chased, robbed, and jeered at by a hostile crowd of 
Uh-oh, here we go. Cisgender men and women has made me infuriated. And remember last week we had that story about William Shatner. And at the time in the article, they were saying how cis is not a slur. And you know this guy, this O'Farrell, was talking about a hostile crowd of cisgender men and women in as snitty a way as possible. And now, suddenly, it's a problem. And, and the reason I'm a little shocked about this, A, because CNN actually put the picture of the three perpetrators. There are three black men on the CNN site, and they attacked three black transgender women. And so finally, folks, black-on-black crime matters. But, you know, it apparently only matters when there's a transgender involved. So... In the south side of Chicago, when people are shooting each other up left and right, nobody cares. If they shot a transgender, then suddenly it would become an issue. This is a New York Times service story. Are racial attitudes really changing? Some black activists are skeptical. Okay, this is in Chicago. The old guard of this city's Roseland neighborhood, a community on the south side famous for molding a young Barack Obama and infamous for its current blight, has never forgotten the fruit trees. Back in the 1970s, before the full exodus of white residents, the erosion of local businesses, the crack epidemic of the 1980s, which is brought to you by the CIA, and the disinvestment that followed, it was the trees that signaled the societal elevation of black families, separating those who moved here from the urban high-rises they fled. An apple tree greeted Anton Dabin's family in 1973. He said, the tree meant a yard, a yard meant a home and a home meant a slice of the American dream, long deferred for black Americans. Pear trees, peaches, apples, it was beautiful, Dobine recalled, before the white people left. This guy must be self-loathing. <laughs> Has he not read White Fragility? You want to get the white people out of there. They're all racist. Everyone knows that. Today, as activism against racial inequities raises questions about whether anything will actually change for many black Americans, Dobain Street in Roseland tells a different story about that same American dream and the place for black people within it. The fruit trees have been replaced with overgrown lots. Residents say gangs use the abandoned areas to stockpile weapons, which children sometimes find. Racist police are omnipresent, a source of comfort for those who believe they deter crime, another bunch of self-loathing residents, and an instigator for others who say they perpetuate abuse. We know they do. But more than anything... It is the consistency of the neighborhood struggle that bothers its tight-knit group of activists who are skeptical that the nation's current focus on racial injustice will mean tangible improvements in the lives of those who most need it. White Democrats have often been the opponents of these low... <gasps> Democrats are racist? No! Let's start that again. White Democrats have often been the opponents of these local leaders in the deep blue world of Chicago politics. White Democrats fled Roseland and nearby communities after the influx of black families in the 1960s and 1970s, diverting political attention and business investment. In other areas of the city, white self-professed liberals have now moved back, sometimes in effect replacing black residents <laughs> with yard signs that read Black Lives Matter. You can't make this up, folks. And while this area and black voters continue to vote for Democrats in overwhelming numbers, Activists say that it is a consequence of the Republican Party's reputation as the home of white grievance politics, not an absolution of Democrats' failures. Pot, meat, cattle. <laughs> so the Republican Party is the home of white grievance politics. <laughs> okay, what do you think the Democrat Party is? Everybody else. Okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I want to read that. Oh, you know what, though? That makes me think of something. So they're talking about how self-professed liberals have now moved back. Remember what happened in Seattle? Where's that article? Give me that article real quick. This is from the New York Post last week, all those white liberals, that the Seattle BLM protesters, that guy I just love, they called him like gentrifiers and was yelling at him to give black people back their homes. And I said at the time, I knew that all the, the white liberals would give their homes back up in Seattle because that's just how they are. I wonder if they'll do the same thing in Chicago. This is from The Atlantic. The headline is, The Fun Police Should Stand Down. State and local officials across the country are unleashing a new weapon in America's war against the coronavirus, the cops. And we talked about this last week about Rhode Island, which I thought was a state run by the mafia, but is now just a bunch of tattletales. Citing parties as the cause of recent clusters of infections in Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker recently authorized state and local police to crack down on public and private gatherings that violate social distancing guidelines. The sheriff's office in New York City 
took on new coronavirus duties, including the enforcement of party bans. In Los Angeles, Mayor Eric Garcetti announced that the city will shut off power and water to residences where large gatherings take place, and the county public health department, in what it described as a legally binding order, declared that party hosts will be subject to fines, imprisonment, or in both. And I saw an article, and I didn't bother printing it out. It's got some, I don't know, this kid, this TikTok twink. TikTok, if you don't know, is one of these social media things that all the little kids are running around on. But I saw this this doofus got his house power shut off. So I was thinking, where is alleged chicken hawk? <laughs> and uh, Mayor of Holyoke, Alex Morris, he must be out on his way to visit the twinks that got shut down. Even if people aren't intentionally trying to get themselves infected, run-of-the-mill gatherings, baby showers, retirement parties, keggers are indeed happening, and communities need a strategy for reducing their size and frequency. But instead of learning from past mistakes, officials are repeating them. Look no further, and if memory serves me correctly, White Boy Malcolm X, New York City is run by a flaming borderline communist mayor. I don't even know his name anymore. I don't really care what his name is. De Blasio. Yes. So before I read this paragraph, I just want to clarify. I just want to make sure I understand. New York City is run by a flaming leftist, de Blasio. Okay. Look no further than New York City to see how this will play out. When police were authorized to enforce social distancing guidelines, nearly all the arrests were black and Latino residents. Well, of course, the cops are pigs. I mean, what, do you, what else do you expect? Including several who were punched in the face or knocked unconscious by police officers. In the meantime, not a single ticket was issued in Park Slope, a wealthy and predominantly white neighborhood, despite the crowds that gathered there in Prospect Park. It's no surprise that New York City's contact tracing program, a public health tool that relies on trust, has had limited success in getting information from people who test positive, who tend to live in the very neighborhoods that have been targeted by racist law enforcement, who go in and punch them in the face and knock them unconscious. And in the defense of the racist New York City Police Department, the last thing I would want to do is to go to Park Slope and deal with one of these yippy millennial white women who are think they're, they're the Karen set, they're the younger, the new generation of. Oh, I have a really good article. I'm going to tackle it next week. The headline is the mythology of Karen, but I don't have time today to cover it, so we'll cover it next week. It's it's one of these long form articles. So I don't really blame the police for not wanting to go in and getting and dealing with the millennial version of Karen in Park Slope. In a strategy that may produce the same results as New York City's, Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, is calling for more intensive law enforcement in the areas with the highest rates of transmission, which <gasps> disproportionately, I love that word, disproportionately include communities of color. He has also threatened to shut down parks and playgrounds in such areas. Punitive measures like this will only drive people indoors where the risk of transmission is greater. Ugh, that damn Charlie break. You know, the issue is that there are rates of infections in neighborhoods that happen to be predominantly black and Hispanic. I don't think Charlie Baker, who, yes, he is a Republican, but he's kind of like a rhino Republican. He's not going to send the racist pig police into a predominantly black or Latino neighborhood just because they're black and Latino. There are higher rates of infection there, and he needs to go in and fix it. And all they do, all they know how to do, is scream, racist, 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 every time one minority is inconvenienced on anything. And if they see someone, some white person who doesn't get it, then they just go racist again. Okay, moving on. I'm actually not going to even read this article. It's from Fast Company. It's about 10 pages long, but I just want to read you the headline. Roblox, which apparently is a massive online gaming platform, which I've never heard of, but I guess your kids have. Roblox is waging a technical shadow war against condo games. Digital sex parties where kids act like adults. With more than half of Americans under 16 playing Roblox, can the company regain control of its own platform? So there, if you have a child under 16 years old in your house playing Roblox, they are probably having a digital sex party with other kids. So here's another article, and this is from Bloomberg, and I am not even going to read this article either, even though it's just a page. I'll read you the headline. Six key takeaways from pandemic data on American households. And if you read the article, it will remind you of the old joke where God decides to end humanity and destroy the earth. And the next morning, you know, the Wall Street Journal comes out with 
you know, God to destroy earth, markets to close early. And then the New York Times comes out with an article, God to end the world, women and minorities hardest hit. <laughs> that's that's exactly what this is. So they don't really care about women, though. It's just all, unless unless it's a transgender woman, then we know from from two of the prior articles, if there's black on black crime, for example, nobody bothers to report it unless a black person attacks a transgender black person. Then that's news here. Nobody cares about women anymore, especially at now, because they're all being racist and creating hostile, toxic work environments. But here it's primarily just minorities hardest hit. So you can read it, but I'm not going to. This is from Nylon. I don't even, well, this is actually kind of a, a hilarious article in a really sick way because people actually think this way. The headline, the self-defeating myth of pulling it off. And this is only if you want some more victimization. Face it, skinny girl privilege is real. And this is from Amanda Mole. If you've looked at a fashion trend in the past five years or so and felt it radiating an overwhelming sense of hostility towards everything about you as a person, not only are you not too sensitive, but you're exactly correct. <laughs> yeah, right. Today, the fashion industry isn't so much providing women with the aesthetic tools to go confidently out into the world as it is setting forth a challenge. Are you hot enough to prevail over a garment so heinous that it would make mere mortals look like total idiots? When you live in a fat body, well-meaning people love to tell you that the only barrier between you and whatever you want to wear is your own self-confidence. That's incorrect, but I understand why people say it. It's convenient to believe that the only barriers for others are in their own heads, partly because it means fixing the problem might be simple, but also because it allows anyone who has never been plus size to neatly abdicate their complicity in how the world treats fat women and obscure the gap in their own empathy. In reality, there are two phases of choosing to do anything, including choosing what to wear, deciding there's a thing you want to do, and deciding that doing it is an option reasonably available to you. To a straight-sized person, I'm sure this sounds histrionic. It does. Because, hey, it's just a dress or a pair of mom jeans, right? And well, it is for you. Fat women are playing a game with wildly different stakes. Five years ago, I lost a good bit of weight, putting me just below 200 pounds for the first time in my adult life. It was a strange experience in many ways, but the most heartbreaking part of it was realizing how much nicer people are to you in everyday life the smaller you are. I wasn't even close to thin by any popular beauty standard, but the difference... You know what? I actually have an alternative hypothesis for you. And what's her name again? Amanda Mole. I wonder if this is what they call confirmation bias. Maybe, Amanda, you were just an angry fat chick that resented thin people and you hated yourself for being fat and you took it out on everyone else. So the hate you give is the hate you get. It wasn't because you were fat. You were just kind of being an angry fat bitch. Now you've lost the weight. You're nicer. They're nicer. So the next time you put on all the weight and you become a cranky old, you know what, don't complain because everyone else is responding in kind. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to read about her anymore. What a dopey chick. Okay. Do we want... I guess I'll do this. This is, um, you know, I have Tweedledee Pocahontas and Tweedledum, and I can't even think of his name, even though we've got some good stories on it. Marky, thank you. Thank you. Tweedledee Pocahontas and Tweedledum Marky are my U.S. senators. And so Elizabeth Warren gave her convention speech the other night. Um, she did not tell Carol Ann to go into the light. She did not talk about the good and the dark. But I'll give you a little clip of this because this is this will haunt you for the to the end of days. As a little girl growing up in Oklahoma as Pocahontas, what I wanted most in the world was to be a teacher. I loved teaching. When I had babies and was juggling my first big teaching job down in Texas, it was hard, but I could do hard. The thing that almost sank me? Child care. One night my Aunt B called... Isn't Aunt B from the Andy Griffith Show? One night my Aunt B called to check in. I thought I was fine, but then I just broke down and started to cry. Can you see, can you see Pocahontas crying now? I had tried to hold it together, but without reliable child care, working was nearly impossible, and that's when I told Aunt B I was going to quit my job. I thought my heart would break. Then she said the words that changed my life. I can't get there tomorrow, but I'll come on Thursday. 
She arrived with seven suitcases and a Pekingese named Buddy and stayed for 16 years. I get to be here tonight because of my Aunt B. Aunt B, screw you for <laughs> screw you for giving us Pocahontas, Senator Pocahontas. I learned a fundamental truth. Nobody makes it on their own. And let me translate that for you, folks. You didn't build that. Ugh, God. I'm done with her. I... Okay, we're here. We got the gay stories wiped by Malcolm X. Let's start it off. New York Post Reds announcer Tom Brenneman suspended after using homophobic slur. Let's dig in. Tom Brenneman, the longtime play-by-play man for the Cincinnati Reds, was suspended indefinitely Wednesday and acknowledged his career might be over after video showed him using a homophobic slur on a hot mic earlier in the day. The 56-year-old Brenneman was pulled from the broadcast booth by the Reds after he said, one of the fag capitals of the world, but they just put F-G. But since I am America's most beloved self-loving homosexual, I can use the word fag. So let's start that again. The 56-year-old Brenneman was pulled from the broadcast booth by the Reds after he said, one of the fag capitals of the world on the Fox Sports Ohio TV broadcast during the first game of, the ske- of a scheduled doubleheader in Kansas City. It was unclear what Brenneman was referring to. A few seconds passed before Brenneman, seemingly unaware his comment made the airwaves, <laughs> recited a promo for the network's pregame show. Brenneman was removed from the second game after videos of the incident made the rounds on social media and issued, I wonder if a YouTuber put that up there, and issued an apology while looking directly into the camera for parts of it. I made a comment earlier tonight that, I guess, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. (laughs) Yeah, right. Brenneman said during the fifth inning, If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart. I am so very, very sorry. I don't know if I'll be putting on this headset again. That's what he's sorry about. (laughs) He's He's about to get fired. He's deeply ashamed, I ask. I don't know if it'll be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize to the people that signed my paycheck, for the Reds, for the Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anyone I've offended tonight. I beg for your forgiveness. Brenneman's broadcast partner, who's clearly a homophobe, told him on the air, you're a good man, partner. Hang in there. I mean, seriously, don't give me a BS apology you don't mean. It's like the now person with, I'm, I'm sick and I have to retire. So don't bother. You're not deeply ashamed. The only reason you're sorry is because you're about to lose your job and your paycheck. The question I have, white boy Malcolm X, is what do you think he was referring to by the fag capitals of the world? I mean, we can go to San Francisco, we can go to New York, probably Paris. Well, we know there are no gay people in Iran or Russia because they tell us that. There are probably none in North Korea. So I don't know where the fag capitals are. Rio, uh, fag capital of the South is Atlanta. Boston's, man, now Boston doesn't really have a good gay population, does it? Maybe L.A., Berlin might be one in I, I don't know. So if anyone wants to guess what the fat capitals of the world are, you let me know. This white boy Malcolm X is a story that's probably going to get you and I in trouble. It's from Variety, and the headline is, Randy Rainbow apologizes for past racist and transphobic tweets. And yes, it's another gay white guy flagellating himself. Just like, uh, what was that other, where's that other article? J. Eric Fisher, the pajama boy who blamed the LGBTQ community for stealing pride from the black freedom movement. So here's another one. Update. Comedian Randy Rainbow, who I've never heard of, apologized on Thursday afternoon after old tweets resurfaced online in which he uses racist and transphobic language. In an interview with The Advocate magazine, he said that the decade-old tweets were made in his maiden quest to be funny. Rainbow further explained... I am inc- another one who's sorry. I am incredibly sorry. I would never intentionally do anything to hurt anyone. I learned many years ago over the last decade that there are things that you must be sensitive about. He did clearly did not learn how to delete old tweets, but he did learn about becoming more sensitive. There are issues that I was not aware of back then. In 2010, we weren't anywhere near where we are now. Ugh, another one. Here's a fake apology. Anyway, he insisted... He has never been racist or transphobic. I'm a gay Jew who was brought up in a very open, accepting family, he told the magazine. There is not a racist or intolerant bone in my body. What do you see? What do you see there, white boy Malcolm X? A white guy. And we know 
we know from white fragility that all white people are racist. It doesn't matter. He can say he's not racist, but he is a racist no matter what. And the more he says he's not a racist, the more racist he is. So let's pick this back up. There is not a racist or intolerant bone in my body. Liar. When I say that I have evolved with the times, I mean that my comedy has. I did not need to be taught not to be a racist or transphobic because I never was. Rainbow, who identifies as gay, is most well-known for his parody songs and political spoofs targeting Donald Trump. Though much of his content comes from his... (laughs) What is it about these news articles today? His YouTube channel. He appeared on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race in 2018 and was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Short-Form Variety Series in 2019 and 2020. Probably because he was picking on Donald Trump. However, a spreadsheet circulating on Twitter containing... Yes, yes, White Boy Malcolm X. Yes, yes. They, they, took out, they took out Excel to document this, folks. They took out the, spread, the Excel spreadsheet, which is now apparently you can circulate Excel spreadsheets on Twitter. Let's start that again. However, a spreadsheet circulating on Twitter containing over 60 now-deleted... Oh, he did delete them. Now-deleted tweets, mainly from 2010 and 2020, has greatly disappointed many of his fans. In the tweets, Rainbow frequently uses stereotypes of black, Latino, Asian, Jewish, transgender, and lesbian people as punchlines. Rainbow wrote at least 20 tweets portraying black people in a negative light, often generalizing that they were rowdy, dangerous criminals. Have they not seen Chicago and New York City lately? I mean, I'm not overly stereotyping, but they got to, maybe we can all agree that there are like a few rowdy, dangerous criminals who happen to be black running around those cities. But I guess that is racist to even bring that up. Latinos were also referred to as lazy criminals. In one painful attempt at ironic humor, Rainbow wrote, thank God I'm not Mexican or all this laziness of mine might elicit some offensive ethnic stereotyping. People can be cruel. Rainbow also made fun of Asian people, specifically pointing out their small stature and even commenting on the size of their penises. (laughs) Lastly, Rainbow often dehumanized his fellow members of the LGBTQ plus community using the offensive word tranny to describe a transgender person and furthering stereotypes of masculine lesbians, which I did last week, saying that if the black people came into the... uh, the white neighborhoods telling the white people to get out of their homes that the lesbians would go down and beat their asses and send them back out. So in one particularly offensive instance, Rainbow wrote, if I could have been, I would have been, and that's transgenderism. <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. Where do I even begin with that? Here, I'll just say it like this. Three words. Toughen up, ladies. You know, I have been called a fag, a faggot, a queer. You know, usually with a insult preceding it like, a stupid fag or an ugly fag or whatever fag or faggot or queer. I've been called self-loathing, which is why I am now America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. You know, queens, girlfriends, ladies, you do not have to put down <laughs> deleted tweets from, from 10 years ago on an Excel spreadsheet and circulate them on Twitter. The guy deleted them. He, it was 10 years ago, let it go. Jesus, these people who dig up things from like 10 years here or 15 or 20 or 30 years and what they said 10 or 15 or 20 years ago is the same person they are now and we have to cancel them so i've used the word tranny before but i have not used it in a while but i have used it so i i i, I do apologize it's, it's not cool i get it i understand but i think the masculine <laughs> stereotype is hilarious okay let's get to some local news and we'll start with Teen girl trying to run down her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend plows car into five pedestrians, police say. This is in New Britain, Connecticut. A teenage girl plowed her car into five pedestrians, including a seven-year-old child on a sidewalk Monday in Connecticut, while trying to run down her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend, police said. The young girl and another person were seriously injured, but are expected to survive, authorities said. The 17-year-old girl drove onto a New Britain sidewalk, struck the pedestrians, and crashed through a yard fence shortly after 1 p.m. Police said the accident was related to a domestic dispute and all the victims knew the driver. They all drive like assholes down in Connecticut. I mean, I guess I have to give them credit. You go up to like New Hampshire or Vermont, it's like all Sunday drivers. Here on the Massachusetts highways, it's just New Hampshire drivers driving five miles under the speed limit in the fast lane. Connecticut, it's all the fast lane. They're all going 80, 90 miles an hour. I don't care what the speed limit is. They're all going 80, 90 miles an hour. So... Welcome to Connecticut. Just watch out because you're um, 
your crazy ex-girlfriend might run down your new girlfriend. This is kind of a sad one for me. The headline is, Cheers will close Faneuil Hall location on August 30th. It may not be the original location, but Cheers at Faneuil Hall has served as a destination for countless tourists over the last couple of decades, and like so many other restaurants, will soon close its doors for good. In a press release, Cheers founder Tom Kershaw announced the closure, sharing that August 30 will be the Faneuil Hall pub's last day. Cheers Replica Bar had a wonderful 20 years in the iconic Faneuil Hall marketplace, one of America's most cherished historic landmarks, he wrote. And they're trying to change the name of that because I guess Faneuil souls or new slaves or had slaves or did something with slaves. They, they want to rip out the name Faneuil Hall. So it is not, it is only America's most cherished historic landmark to racist white people there, sir. I have faced and pulled through many kinds of downturns and upticks in the economy within the last 20 years. Cheers Replica Bar at Faneuil Hall Marketplace has been in business. Sadly, the COVID-19 pandemic, combined with no assistance from our landlord, has made this current challenge insurmountable. And I guess the other one out on Beacon Hill, which is the original, the Bull and Finch Pub, which was opened in 1969, is staying open and here in Massachusetts, uh, we're not going to what they call stage four or whatever until there's an actual vaccine. And that includes all bars and dance clubs and all that. So all these places are basically going to be closed for at least the next, I don't know, six, nine, uh, 12 months, depending on when they get a viable vaccine in. So I can't believe more places haven't closed. And and the reason this is sad for me is that, well, my father passed away a couple of years ago, but he saw a heart specialist in Boston. So one of the perks of living up here was that he and my mom would come up when he would see a specialist and we get to hang out. And that was one of the things we did was we went over to, he used to watch Cheers back when it was on back in the, what, 80s. And I remember as a kid sitting there watching it with him, but we went to like, we'd go to Cheers at Faneuil Hall. And I, you know, I'd have a beer and we'd eat all the crappy food and we just kind of hang out. But that's kind of one of those places that just reminds me of my dad. And now it's closing, which is kind of a bummer. Uh-oh. It's, <laughs> we need to get like a theme song for Ginger Kennedy. I got three articles on Ginger Kennedy and Tweedledum Markey. This is the first one, and this is from Boston.com. Three things we learned from the final debate between Ed Markey and Ginger Kennedy. If you're going to try to stand on principle, you got to stand on the principle. For the final time in their nearly year-long nationally watched Senate primary race, Tweedledum Markey and Ginger Kennedy faced off in a televised debate Tuesday night, during which the two Massachusetts Democrats traded jabs as the September 1st election nears. Much of the hour-long debate was spent rehashing familiar themes of the increasingly contentious race. Ginger Kennedy argued that he would act to more urgently and effectively leverage the platform of a Massachusetts senator, while Markey touted the bills he had passed over his 47 combined years in the House and Senate. Tweedledum Markey, for crying out loud, go home, 47 years, you've enriched yourself enough, you pig. Both candidates said that, if elected, they would push progressive policies they say are direly needed to address systemic, economic, and racial inequalities exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic and that racist pig President Donald Trump's administration. No, it gets worse. It gets worse from there. What makes two privileged candidates qualified to address working-class concerns. Towards the end of the debate, Markey and Kennedy were asked what perhaps may be the point of skepticism for disaffected voters. How exactly would two well-to-do white men, one a loft... What? Oh, yes, you're right. Let me start this over again. And White Boy Malcolm X has a... I should put something in here. Towards the end of the debate, Tweedledum Markey and Ginger Kennedy were asked... And it's not that. Were asked what perhaps may be the point of skepticism for disaffected voters... How exactly would two well-to-do cisgendered white men, one a longtime fixture of Washington, D.C., and the other the scion of one of America's most famous and wealthy political families, be able to understand and address the hardships faced by working-class families amidst the economic fallout of the pandemic? Well, let's be frank. They don't really care. They just want the votes. Both candidates agreed that Washington, D.C. had become disconnected from those everyday struggles. How would they bridge that gap? Well, the guy's been there for 47 years. If he, if he can't do it now, just give the ginger the job. Ginger Kennedy acknowledged there was no doubt that I come to this position with tremendous privilege. I've tried to be as upfront and deliberate about this as I can. That's how Ginger Kennedy talks, I think. I just picture him as like some doofus. Tweedledum Marky countered that Ginger Kennedy may have heard about... The, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm not reading that anymore. I get to 
got two more articles. Ginger Kennedy responds to Tweedledum Markey's attacks on his family as heated Senate race gets personal. Representative Ginger Kennedy doesn't often invoke his illustrious family name, but as incumbent Senator Tweedledum Markey has increasingly used the Kennedy political legacy against the 39-year-old congressman in their increasingly contentious Senate primary race, that changed Monday. If he wants to talk about the Kennedys, I'll talk about the—oh, that's, that's Ginger Kennedy. If he wants to talk about the Kennedys, I'll talk about the Kennedys— the Newton Democrat and grandson of Robert F. Kennedy said during an eight-minute speech Monday in Boston, contrasting his family's record on racial justice with the 74-year-old senator's own 47 years in elected office. I am a 39-year-old white man of tremendous privilege, Kennedy added. My own work on racial justice is wholly incomplete, but this fight is in my blood. God. He is painful, painfully stupid. Here's another one. Last one on on Ginger Kennedy. Crypt keeper Pelosi angers ditzy bartender AOC by endorsing Ginger Kennedy scion in Senate race. And this is from the New York Post. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the crypt keeper, on Thursday endorsed Representative Ginger Kennedy in a primary challenge against Massachusetts Senator Tweedledum Markey, yielding charges of hypocrisy from ditzy bartender Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Markey is the Senate sponsor of Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. Kennedy, a centrist, <laughs> they called him a centrist, a centrist who benefits from his famous family name, outraged progressives by opposing marijuana legalization and legislation to curb mass surveillance. No one gets to complain about, oh, it's, this is, I got to do another ditzy voice. No one gets to complain about primary challenges again, AOC wrote on Twitter after Crypt Keeper Pelosi cut a video ad for Ginger Kennedy. So, there you have it. Let's just rewrite the headline. A ditzy bartender is angry at a Crypt Keeper over a privileged ginger. And we are done. Oh, here we go, White Boy Malcolm X. Your favorite story. So we have, we've talked about this now for, what, two weeks. In Holyoke, Massachusetts, which is on the western part of the state, they have, and it's a, it's a lovely little town, by the way. Let me just tell you that, folks. They have a gay mayor, and his name is Alex Morris. And he is the first openly gay mayor of Holyoke, which is a lovely little town. And apparently, he is also a chicken hawk. And as I said earlier in the show, you got to think a less creepy, touchy-feely Kevin Spacey. So he likes the young ones. And so he was teaching at the University of Massachusetts. Just give you a quick summary. He was teaching at the University of Massachusetts, And he was accused by three groups of college Democrats, because at the University of Massachusetts, they got so many Democrats, they had to create three groups, of being a bit of a chicken hawk and going after students, liking the whatever with the students. And he was like, well, it's consensual, and on and on and on. It's a bunch of of high school girls. The next week, we have an article where it looks like these college Democrats set him up to get a job with Representative Richard Neal's office. And so they were they were chatting with him on one of these online you know apps, and they were chatting him up for whatever. And at the point in time, I said, "Don't ever complain to me about conservatives, given how nasty and vindictive these liberals are." Namely, Timothy Ennis, the chief strategist for the UMass Amherst College Democrats, who was uh, you know, it looks like the ringleader here. But now we have a third article, and this is from Boston.com. Alex Morse claims chair of Massachusetts Democratic Party discouraged him from challenging Richard Neal. Holyoke Mayor Alex Morse, the chicken hawk, claimed Monday night that efforts to impede his primary challenge against incumbent representative Richard Neal go all the way to the height of the Massachusetts Democratic Party and predate the suspicious allegations levied against him by a group of college students. Morse and Neal squared off in a debate Monday night hosted by New England Public Media. And for the most part, the two Massachusetts Democrats got the issue-oriented event they wanted. Morse criticized Neal for not wielding his position of power in Congress to more urgently meet the needs of the most vulnerable residents of the 1st District, while the 71-year-old congressman worked to cast doubt upon his challenger's record in the delightful city of Holyoke. However, the debate began with several questions about the accusations that Morse, a 31-year-old openly gay man, pursued sexual relationships with college students in the region 
amid reports that the accusations were part of a long-running scheme by several students who were hoping to curry favor with Neil and who reportedly received assistance bringing the claims forward from top leaders in the state party. Obviously, it's no coincidence the timing of these allegations and accusations that go all the way to the height of the Massachusetts Democratic Party, Moore said. For the first time, he also said that the state party chair, Gus Bickford, yes, that's his name, Gus Bickford, took me to lunch over a year ago and discouraged me from running against the congressman right there. I know what it's like to go up against power nine years ago, and I'm doing the same today, said Morris, who narrowly unseated an incumbent Holyoke mayor to win his first term as a 22-year-old. So poor mayor of Holyoke, which is a lovely little city, by the way, poor mayor Alex Morris, who is a chicken hawk and who likes to apparently, allegedly, likes to go on social media apps and bang college boys is not only claiming that he was set up by a bunch of dopey, vindictive college queens, but the Massachusetts Democratic Party is at the root of this evil. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. So I guess I guess everyone is expecting a Biden presidency because it is just, it's rich bashing time right now. So we had an article last week, the Mediterranean diet only works for rich people, study says. And to translate that, it means that the poor are disproportionately affected by not being able to fully enjoy the Mediterranean diet because it's just too expensive for them. And so now we've got, I've got two other articles. And here's the first. Wealthier parents are more likely to send their kids back to physical classrooms. Here's why. The parents most likely to keep their kids home made less than $50,000 a year, according to a new survey. School's out, and for many kids this fall, it's going to stay out, especially if they're on the lower end of the income ladder. Yes, the poor are yet again disproportionately affected. 31% of parents say they'll likely or definitely be keeping their kids home if their school physically reopens in the fall, according to a new survey by JAMA Pediatrics. Researchers found financial differences between the families who were planning for their children to physically attend school and those who were not. The higher their income level, the more likely parents were to say that they plan to send their kids into the classroom. The parents most likely to keep their kids home, 38%, made less than $50,000 a year. The second most likely set of parents, 29%, to consider keeping their kids home made between $50,000 and $100,000 a year. On the other end of the spectrum, 27% of parents making more than $150,000 a year will or likely will keep their kids home. They may be paying for teaching pods or private educators instead. I I hate it when they do this in articles. They put the word may or could or possibly... They want to infer that something is going to happen without actually being able to prove it's going to happen, like global warming may destroy all of humanity. Part of the discrepancy could also stem from how much money a school has, said study author Emily Crocious, a professor in the University of Washington's Department of Pediatrics. The study said, okay, I'm done. And this is where this is where I know that everyone thinks Biden is going to get in and they are just going to tax the crap out of these people. Here's the headline. All these rich people can't stop themselves the luxe quarantine lives of Silicon Valley's elite. Travis Kalanick is throwing, and if you don't know who he is, he's the uh, he's the Uber guy who got thrown out of his company because, like, he was doing his impression of the National Organization for Women. Bunch of uh, sexism and whatever at his office. They threw his ass out of his own company. Travis Kalanick is throwing outdoor parties. Private jet owners are hopping from safe zone to safe zone, and dinner party hosts are administering 15-minute COVID-19 rapid tests, all business as usual. Coronavirus is a poor person's virus, says one source. (laughs) You're going to pay for that. Are you going to Travis Kalanick's party this weekend? Read a text that popped up on my phone a couple weeks ago. Um, No, I replied. First, I wasn't invited. Kalanick is not a big fan of mine or most people who have written about him. But more importantly, this message landed in my inbox smack in the middle of a spike in COVID-19 cases in Los Angeles, where Kalanick now lives. Kalanick isn't the only one throwing parties during the worst pandemic in 100 years. I've heard about parties from Palm Springs to Palo Alto, business meetings on the slopes in Colorado after a mountain biking sesh, electric... White boy Malcolm X, are your parents throwing some of these luxe parties? And if you don't know, ladies and gentlemen, white boy Malcolm X is from Breckenridge, Colorado, and his parents are up there and they've got a big estate up there. So I'm wondering if, if your parents are throwing one of these shishi parties. And if so, why, why we're not on a private jet flying back to Colorado to party with your parents? They're actually a lot of fun folks. I'm just, I'm just saying. I've heard about, let's just pick this back up. 
I've heard about parties from Palm Springs to Palo Alto, business meetings on the slopes in Colorado after a mountain biking sesh, electric surfing in Hawaii, and billionaires traveling the world on their private jets, hopping from state to state, country to country, intentionally following the lowest COVID rates of the previous week. All these rich people can't stop themselves. One person who is close to a number of wealthy CEOs and venture capitalists told me, they just can't stop themselves from throwing parties and going on their jets and socializing as if everything was normal. Bitter much? In many respects to them, things are better than normal. Those on the top billionaires list have only grown richer over the past five months as tech has soared on the S&P and NASDAQ, helping push the markets back to their pre-COVID numbers and adding double-digit billions to some tech CEO's personal net worth in a single day. Look no further than Apple or Amazon as a prime example. While 16.3 million Americans are unemployed and they're all minorities and poor people, Apple is now nearing a $2 trillion market cap and Amazon has just posted record profits of $5.2 billion in the last quarter, double last year's goal. I'm not reading it anymore. You know what? Tax, tax, tax time. This is kind of sad. North Koreans are ordered to hand over decadent and bourgeois pet dogs for restaurant meat <laughs> as country is rocked by food shortages. And it just makes me think, oh, he's, my, my poor dog is gone now, but my poor golden retriever, I'm just picturing him as like a buffet. <laughs> as part of a buffet in, in North Korea. Kim Jong-un has declared that pet dogs are a symbol of capitalist decadence in order that dogs in Pyongyang be rounded up, and owners are fearful that their beloved pets are being used to solve the nation's food shortages. Dictator Kim announced in July that owning a pet is now against the law, denouncing having a pet at home as a tainted trend of bourgeois ideology. Some of the dogs are sent to state-run zoos, or sold to dog meat restaurants. Where should we go out to eat tonight, dear? Hmm, let's go to the, the Golden Retriever Bistro over on 5th. Hmm, that sounds delicious. Thank you. Oh, gross. Oh, my goodness. Kentucky Man tries to sell four-year-old for $2,500 at gas station. How much is a four-year-old these days? About $2,500. Remember the old days when they would just put them on Craigslist? Now they sell them at the gas station. And this is in Kentucky. Kentucky State Police have charged a 29-year-old man with promoting child trafficking, accusing him of trying to sell a 4-year-old boy for $2,500 at a gas station. Harry Day was arrested Sunday after police responded to reports of a man trying to sell an African-American child at a Speedy Mart in Corbin, Kentucky. Can you see this? A 911, this is what I'm talking about. A 911 caller described Day's car and license plate, and police said they found the white Nissan parked along Spider Creek Road. You see this? 911, what's your emergency? Uh, I got an issue. There's like a, a man trying to sell a black child at the gas station, and the child's about $2,500. Oh, okay, thank you. State troopers found the boy at his mother's house along with <laughs> methamphetamine and drug paraphernalia. Well, if she's like my ex, she can like, that's not mine. I don't know what you're talking about. She was identified as Gertrude Henson, 26. Police said Day and Henson told officers they'd been using methamphetamine. <laughs> they confessed. <laughs> God, meth addicts are so freaking stupid. Jesus Christmas. You know what? I feel bad for this kid. Don't get me wrong, but... Mom and dad, Harry and Gertrude, are meth junkies. I think if I were a four-year-old, I'd be like, Dad, why don't you sell me at the gas station? You could probably get about 2500 bucks because it's all uphill from there. Oh, we have one more story. And this is from, we'll finish, we'll finish today's podcast with the smoking gun. Brazen thief drove car into Home Depot. Customers scattered as woman pulled off 9 a.m. heist at retailer. Usually, when someone decides to drive their car into a Home Depot for some thieving, they have the good sense to do it when the retailer is closed. So this, I guess, happens a lot. Not Gwendolyn Braswell. The 42-year-old Alabama woman, cops say, was behind the wheel of a Pontiac Sunfire. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a piece of crap car, if there ever was one. That drove into a Home Depot Friday morning. The bizarre incident was recorded by surveillance cameras inside the store in Trustville, a Birmingham suburb. Police today identified Braswell as the suspect in the August 14 theft and asked the public for help in determining her whereabouts. Braswell is facing multiple charges including burglary, criminal mischief, and theft. 
Cops believe that Braswell had first staged merchandise in the store before returning in the 2000 Pontiac to pick up the goods around 9 a.m. Do you know what she busted into the Home Depot for, White Bone Malcolm X? A leaf blower and a humidifier. Two things that go together. Who goes, I, I need a leaf blower and I need a dehumidifier, so I'm going to drive in. But you know what? I look, have you seen, look at her picture. Reparations, thank you. So look, folks, Gwendolyn Braswell is simply getting her reparations advancement. Look at the folks in Chicago. And I know they arrested, what, 100 or north of 100 of them uh, the other day or the other week. But Gwendolyn Braswell is just getting her reparations. So I don't know what the big fuss is about there. Okay, I guess the only thing left to do here is sign off. Thank you very much, folks, for joining us and sticking with us for another exciting podcast here on The Miller Frost Show. Both white boy Malcolm X and I will be back next week to do this all over again. In the meantime, have a great week and take care. Peace.